0: Studying the book of James now for an extended period of time, and we have seen together. We really don't have the time this morning to, to go through and lay all of these things again, but I want you to be aware that as you read the book of James, what God is doing is He's proving what it is that you really have, He's proving not just in the book of James. But in James and in First and 2 Peter, First and Second, Third John, in the book of Jude, God is proving what it is that you really have. This is, these are what we refer to as the reality epistles. You say you believe this. What does your life say about what you actually believe? Now, let me explain to you why this is important and what this isn't that's going on. One of the things that puzzles me is why there are so many people who feel that God sends things into our lives in order to be, I don't know what the word would be, testing us, um, um, finding out things about us because he needs to know that. That's not what's going on in your life. It's not what's going on in my life. What God wants you to know is he wants you to know what's going on in your life. You say, well, don't I already know? And if we were honest with ourselves, The answer would be yes. We wouldn't know if we were honest with ourselves. But most people are not really honest with themselves, and we're surely not honest with each other. There's a great deal, for some reason, mankind has a great deal of pretense in their lives. As our Lord begins the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, the first thing he says is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why is that the first statement? And And the answer is, because it is good for you to know that you don't have everything that you are not everything that you need, that something is missing, that you lack and that you're aware that you lack. This is a blessing, perfectly happy, are those that are poor in spirit. It sounds contradictory, and to our flesh, it is contradictory. See, our flesh wants to put on a vain show all the time. It wants to, uh, well, it wants to keep its pride. So it wants to be able to look as if it has something that it doesn't really have, but God wants to rescue us from all of these things. Now again, if you're in James chapter one, you can just flip back one page in your Bible and you'll be in the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, before we study the, these realities, God wants you to lay hold of this reality. If, if you trust that Jesus is the Christ, if you believe that he is who he says he is, that he came to save you from your sins, that he died to pay this penalty, and that he rose again victoriously, conquering death and the grave, and is now seated at the right hand of God in heaven, if you believe this to truly be true, then you have such a great high priest who, one, always lives, ever liveth, to make intercession for you. Your failure does not prevent him from pleading his blood for you. And this is wonderful. But that's not the end. That same one who ever lives to plead on behalf of you and I, with his own power, with his own ability, is pouring out through the Holy Ghost that lives within each and every one of us, the power to be the men and women, the young people, that God would have us to be. This is his ability in us. Now, this is a wonderful truth, but right after that, so now I'm in Hebrews 13, I turn the page, and I come into the book of James, and God says, let's find out if what you have is the truth or not. Now, let me just mention a couple of names to you. Let me mention a couple of names to you. If I said, if I said, um, to you, uh, Patty Crump. If I said Patty Crump to you, does anybody know Pat, if you, does anybody know who Patty Crump is? Raise your hand if you know who Patty Crump is. So, okay, so the vast majority of you do, right? Patty Crump is the daughter of missionaries, yes? A Sunday school teacher for many, many years. A, a great wife, a great mother. She has a son that's on the mission field in China. She has a wonderful daughter-in-law, two, two brand new grandbabies over there. She had a profession of faith, for many, many years, and then just a couple of years ago, three years ago now, she heard the gospel. I remember, I remember, I remember watching her during the invitation, just tapping herself on her chest and saying, it's me, preacher, it's me. It's my pride that's keeping me from my salvation. And She came forward and was wonderfully born again. And it changed everything in her life. We could use the name Joe Rundle, same truth for Joe Rundle. We could use, we could use Cheryl Platt's. Same truth. These are, these are not children. These are not teenagers. These are people my age-ish. We won't go into ages too, too deep, but you know I'm saying these are people my age-ish who did not know until God said, let's find out what you really have. You have played church for a long time, but let's find out what you really have. Now, why would God do that? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. By the way, we can add Alicia Danielson to that list, who's been saved since she's been coming to our church. She'll be baptized before her wedding. Praise God. What a tremendous thing we see God doing over and over and over again in our in our midst, and, and not just here, but all over the world as God says, listen, I love you. Please don't think that these things happen in your life because I'm bothered by you or angry with you or worse, apathetic about you. I love you. I want you to either know that you have me as your Savior and how great and powerful I am, or I want you to know that I am not your Savior that you have begun your own good work and you cannot perform this. And I want you to put that down and let me be the author and finisher of your faith. You know, uh, we were having our, our uh, session yesterday morning, premarital session, uh, counseling yesterday, and um, uh, Dan King got a little beside himself talking about how great the Lord Jesus is. It's, it's, it's wonderful to watch young men as they begin to really lay hold of how great Jesus actually is, it's, it's funny because if you know Daniel at all, uh, he's, he's uh, um, pretty capable with words. And yet, almost immediately, he started just stammering, just stammering, stammering, stammering. He just ran, what, he, what happened is he ran out of superlatives. He just couldn't say enough great things about Jesus. He wasn't trying to make me impressed with his love for Jesus. He was so impressed with how great Jesus was in his own heart as he began to speak about these things. One led to another, led to another, led to another, led to a stammering. I can't even begin to explain it. He just couldn't comprehend in his own mind. Never mind explain to me how great Jesus is and how I understand that feeling. So as we begin, as we, we're going to read a passage in James today. It's a very difficult passage. It's a very um, significant truth that God wants us to see. But as we read it today, those of you that are here, those of you who haven't been here for a long period of time, I want you to understand that God is not showing us this truth to grind us like dust. God is wanting to rescue us from us. He wants to rescue us from our own thinking and understanding. We do not realize how much the world in which we live affects the way we think about things. To the, to the, to the, to the wrong way, by the way. Let's begin in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James. A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Now let me just stop right there. God wants you at the very beginning of your salvation to understand this. This is so significant, and it's so important. Listen, hear me, please hear me. Young Christians begin to have a zeal immediately about doing the right thing. They, they want to do the right thing immediately, and yet they find that their flesh doesn't want to do the right thing. Things that you used to do not so long ago that were actually your everyday life, that were actually your friends in the way that you lived your life, and I'm not talking about people, I'm talking about places and things, uh, conducts that you were, that were a regular part of your life that you actually uh, found some temporal and temporary pleasure in, suddenly you don't like those things anymore. The inward man, the Holy Ghost living within you, the new creature that you are now, he doesn't like gossiping. He doesn't like um, some of the things that you used to watch on television. He doesn't like some of the places that you used to go regularly. He doesn't like them, and he doesn't want to be involved in that. It says, count it all joy when you fall into dive dirt, when you you begin to realize that this is true in your life, don't be bothered by this. Be encouraged by this. Because what God is doing, one, he's proving that you are a new creature that the things that you really didn't like in your life, God says, I'm going to win victories over all of these things in your life. They are not going to control you anymore. They are not going to be your master anymore. You're not going to have to live like this anymore. I'm going to change everything. Now, that's the beginning of this book. Now, in chapter 4, the end of chapter 3 and going into chapter 4, what we have is the exact opposite Those who are assembling together with those who are truly new creatures. What we would be saying here is Joe Rundle before Joe Rundle uh, is saved. Patty Crump, before Patty Crump is saved. Cheryl Plets before Cheryl Pletz is saved. And all of them would complain. If they could stand up here, if they were here this morning, they would shout amen. You're right, preacher, you're exactly right. What you have is those that are, that are in the church, meaning they assemble in the building with those who are new creatures, and yet their love is in the world. Their love is something else. And God wants to rescue those from themselves, all of us. Now, I'd be honest with you. I didn't. I never played church. Uh, I went to church a little while when I was uh, when I was when I was really little. I went for for quite a while, going to Sunday school and everything like that. But my mom, my mom uh, didn't. I didn't have a dad. I didn't have a dad for um, until I was nine years old. When I was born, I had a dad. Uh, my mom got pregnant when she was in high school. My mom and dad got married. Uh, this is back in the 60s, which, which you know, was kind of an uncommon, more uncommon than, than, than it is by far today. And so, um, but my dad left. Before, I, don't remember, I don't really remember him. I met him a couple of years ago, as far as I'm concerned, for the first time in my life. And um, my mom went to church. And she went to a typical church in New England, uh, a social gospel church. And after we went for a while... We stopped going, and I didn't know why we stopped going until I was older, but we stopped going because my mom wasn't comfortable going to church, because she was a single mom, because she wasn't good enough, really, to go to church, which is so true in so many places in America. People come, and they visit a church, and the people that are there are like, oh, what are you like? Oh, you're not good enough to be here. Oh, God help us. None of us are good enough to be here. You know what I'm saying? Quite honestly, all of us are good enough to be here, just none of us are good enough to be in heaven. Amen? Amen. But we have a great Savior. So we assemble here, not because we're trying to earn brownie points to get into heaven. We assemble here, hopefully, because Jesus is the Christ. He is our Savior, and we know we're going to heaven. But we also know that we are indeed new creatures. Amen? So... so. Um, I, I went to that kind of a church. I didn't know there was that kind of a church when I was a little kid because Sunday school is Sunday school. If you understand what I'm saying, I learned the same lessons probably that we learned, that our children learn in Sunday school here. When I got older, I went back to church. When I was a teenager, my mom went back to church. Uh, my, my parents, you know, I, my mom had a, had a husband then. We had businesses then. We had you know money. Uh, we were a different kind of a family, if you will. You know, life was different in our household. By the way, we were better without money than we were with money. But people seem to like money and. My mom and I, my, just my mom and I, my mom and I started to go to church together. I was a teenage boy, and I went to church with my mom. And and, and when you left, you felt good about yourself, because that's the kind of sermon that was preached all the time. Do a little better this week than you did last week, and you're on your way to heaven. It's like, woo! I thought I was in trouble, but I guess I'm doing all right, you know what I'm saying? I did a little better this week. I wasn't quite the scoundrel this week that I was last week. You know, I was not hungover when I went to church this morning. I'm in, I'm in good shape. I, I think I'm getting there, Amen. But then you start meeting the people that go to that church on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, and you say, oh, this seems like hypocrisy to me. And so you abandon the whole thing. That's what I did. But see, down in the South, they don't abandon the whole thing. They just keep going. They just keep going. If you visit the neighborhood around here, and you ask everybody if, they're, if they uh, are saved, the answer is yes, for the most part. I didn't, it, it still is in this neighborhood. The answer is still yes in this neighborhood. If you ask them where they go to church, they all go to, I don't remember, I don't, I don't mean to be unkind, I don't know, they change the name of the church down the street pretty regularly, so I don't know what it's called right now. Um, but it used to be Debon Baptist Church. For a long, long time, it was Debon Baptist Church. And honestly, I think, well, if everybody that says they go to Debon Baptist Church went to Debon Baptist Church, they would be a lot bigger building than it is, and it would have to be. But what this means is this, their families went to that church. Do you understand? And, and when they do go to church, that's the church that they go to. But see, God is not interested in church-going. That's not what he's interested in. God loves you and wants to rescue you from you. So when you come to chapter four, the end of chapter three and chapter four, he's going to deal with those who regularly assemble, but but some of them aren't born again. So let's look at this. Let's look at this. Verse, starting in verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Who's like that? In other words, talking to, when it says you, it's talking to a plural people. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not. Don't brag about all that you do. Really, here's the the remarkable, please look up here. Here's the remarkable thing. It is easier, listen to me, please hear me, it's really important. It is easier to fill a building with contests or activities than with the gospel do you understand and it's easy to easier to fill Sunday school class you know we're going to have a children's Christmas program next week and the children's Christmas programs uh, some of the, sometimes we have our children's Christmas program, it's this class and then this class and then this class. And if we're not careful, what will happen is the classes themselves will compete with each other about the things that the children are doing. Now, because at our church we kind of frown on that, it doesn't happen. But what I find is this, so there's less that they care about doing now. Because, like, well, nobody really applauds me when I do great anyway. Do you see what I'm saying? But that's not why we should do it. We should do it for the benefit of the children. Yes. You should teach the children the word of God, the songs that they learn to sing, not so that you can be that Sunday school teacher whose class looked really awesome up here, but so that the children know the truth. Yes, no, yes or no? I mean, honestly, yes or no? Does it not matter? Does it not make a difference? You know, we should want to assemble together for the Sunday school, for the Wednesday night, for all of these things, but not for the show of it, but not for the counting of it. You know, we don't we don't count attendance for a reason. We don't count attendance because I realize, well, what's the value of counting the attendance? The, the, then we can just brag about how many people come to church, if you understand what I'm saying. But that's not what God wants. What He wants is for your heart to be full of the joy of Christ so that you want to be involved in the things that God wants us to do. So it says this, listen, if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not. Don't brag about the ministry you're involved with when your heart is not right about the ministry you're involved with. Don't. And lie not against the truth. Be honest with yourself. This wisdom descends not from above but is earthly, sensual, devilish. It is. It's just competition. It is, you know, it's really remarkable to me. I have no idea. I don't really care about sports like I used to anymore. I mean, you just have to ask my family. If the Patriots lost, If the Red Sox lost, if the Celtics lost, you can tell where I grew up, right? I mean, it ruined my day, literally, sometimes more than a day. If the Red Sox lost to the Yankees, I couldn't talk to Daryl for a month, you know what I'm saying? Do you understand? Now, what's really fascinating is I had, no, I had no idea what kind of a hold sports had in my life. No idea at all. You know, Tommy Brackett used to talk, he uses this phrase, basket bail, foot bail, golf bail, even though it's not really a golf bail. You know what I'm saying? And, and when he would say that, i think, oh, you're just being silly. You just obviously aren't any good at sports. You know what I'm saying? And I would, uh, I remember once my son, Chris, we were watching a game. I don't remember what game it was. And I was, you know, I was... I was invested. <laughs> and Chris said, Dad, it's only a game. And I, I said something like this, it's an important game. <laughs> it's, it's an important game, I mean, really, honestly. Now, for those of you who don't like sports, you must look at those of us that do like sports and say, and you guys are, you know, I mean, no, I'll say this, people, who, and now somebody's going to be angry with me for saying this, but <laughs> NASCAR, you know, is driving around in a circle with a bunch of the names of your sponsors on your car. That's, you know, I'm not saying it's not hard. Please don't get me wrong. NASCAR fans, I'm not saying it's not hard. But I just can't get invested. There aren't enough accidents to watch NASCAR. You know what I'm saying? And you don't really want it to be accidents because somebody might get hurt. You understand? This wisdom descends not from above, but is, earthless and listen, earthly, sensual, devilish. Our thinking in America of competition is wrong. Do you understand? Should you do your best? Always. Always. Should you do it? Are sports wrong? They are not wrong. But we are too invested in these things. Do you understand? But here's the thing. Church has become, at this time, not talking about now, at this time, church had become a competition. And James said, this is not okay. This is not okay. This is not what God is after. What God is after is is a group of people assembling because one, God loves them and they know it. Two, they love God because he first loved them. And three, they beginning and very, very much do love one another and the world around them. That's why we assemble together. That's what this is saying. So then contrast this. It says, For where envy and strife uh, is, there's confusion in every evil work. But But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Tremendous. Last week, we looked at the beginning of chapter 4. From whence come wars and fightings among you? In other words, if this is true, if the good things come from above, if God gives all this wonderful, 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 heartfelt truth and changes your life from the inside, then why are there wars and fightings in churches? And the answer is, here's, isn't this where they come from? Even from your lusts, that war, and your members? And this, by the way, means your members, meaning just within me, but unfortunately, it means in your members. He's talking to the church as a whole. So this is what happens because of your selfishness and my selfishness. We have fighting. Yes. If I didn't have any, by the way, you and I can't get. You and I can't really disagree as long as one of us isn't selfish. You can not like the person. You know, what I'm saying. If you're selfish, you can not like someone. But where there's strife, we're both wrong because only by pride cometh contention. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war. This doesn't sound like church, does it? And the answer is that sounds like a lot of independent Baptist churches I know. But you have not, because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. I got done preaching. We were looking at this together last week. I got done and somebody came up to me and said, Pastor, I didn't know we had difficulties in our church. And I said, I, I don't know that we do. I said, but I've been here now since 99. I've been at this church since 99. We're, you know, first as a member, then as an assistant pastor, and then, you know, now as a pastor for, I don't know, I mean 12, 12 years. And we have had in our history times when we had these things. And unfortunately, there'll probably be times when it could happen again. But here's the thing, and I mean this with all my heart. It can't. It just can't. Not, not it shouldn't. It can't. This can't be what our church is like. It's not supposed to be what any church is like, right? My, my uh, uh, brethren, these things, right? Go back to verse 10 of chapter 3. Out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. They ought not so to be. They can't be like this in the church. They can't. Listen, the world around us is dying and going to hell, and church members are fighting over their Sunday school classes. Not here in our church. It's not what's going on. But the point is, that's what the passage is saying. You guys are having arguments about this ministry or that ministry or this ministry versus that ministry, What's wrong with you people, he's saying? And here's the answer. You might not be a new creature. That's the real concern here. Because let's, let's look at where he's going to go with this. Okay, You ask and receive, not because you ask him this that you may consume it upon your own lust. In other words, you want your ministry to be blessed of God, but because you want to be somebody. And God can't bless that. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Wow. I mean, that's really hard language. But, you know, if you look up the Greek behind adulterers and adulteresses, you know what the two words are? Adulterer, male, and adulteresses, female. Same word, just the male and female version of it. So what it means is exactly that. It's a terrible thing. But let me tell you something. The same thing that God charged Israel with when they were following after all of the other false gods around them, and he said, you're supposed to be my wife. You're supposed to be my people. And, and literally, and at one point, he says it very graphically, and you'll lay down with anybody. That's, a, that's just a sick picture when you think about it. But see, that's what he's saying. Listen, listen, listen to me. Please hear me. When we pursue selfish, worldly thinking, and when we assemble together, God says, you're just pursuing the wrong thing completely. This is not my spirit. This is not my spirit. This is not what I want for you. And I'm afraid That some of you, this is what this passage is saying, I'm afraid that some of you do not know the truth. You do not know the truth. God wants to set us free from this, and thank God that he does. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth? to envy, the, the whole Old Testament makes it very clear. The pro- hear me, hear me. The problem with Adam is Adam is selfish. Yes? That's our whole problem. I can sum up every problem that you have in this. Your problem is you. My problem is not you. My problem is me. Now again, here's the thing. When your when your selfishness and my selfishness bump into each other, then we have a problem. Do you understand? But what is the root of that? It told us already in verse one. From whence come these fightings? And remember, war, long-standing conflict, and the word fighting is the battle. So you have the war and you have the ongoing battle. Why do we have any confrontations at all? And the answer is selfishness. Selfishness. And so you know the funny thing about the f- funny thing about this is, so what is the answer to this? What is the deliverance in this? And the answer is humility. Humility. I- just not having to, be, I tell you what, I can't, I was just talking to somebody, I was talking to the pastor's fellowship, I had such a wonderful conversation at the pastor's but those of you who, who made the food and set up the tables and all that, thank you so much for, I mean, it was such a tremendous blessing to those pastors. Pastors get very few times to just come away and, 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 and to be quiet together and to be able to sing and, and have a time and be able to stand around and talk, it was just a tremendous, tremendous blessing, but as, kind of like what Daniel was saying to me yesterday when he was overwhelmed by the goodness of God, as we were discussing what God is doing in Lives of very real people, it just gives you, it just brings you to tears of joy to see God winning victories in people's lives, in real people's lives. And I thank God for it. I, with all my heart, I thank God for it. By the way, I'm going to say this, it just came to my mind. I was just watching Eddie, nod, Eddie Agner over here nodding with great agreement. Eddie Agner, another person who, who has been saved, truly born again since he came here and really since he professed to be saved even since he's been here and it's changing, it's changed their marriage, it's changed his life. Because that's what happened when God saves you. Listen, if, if when our marriages are not what they should be, when our lives are not what they should be, be honest. Don't say, well, it's okay, I'm just having a hard time. No, no, something's wrong. There's a difference between a trial and being a jerk. Do you understand? There's a difference. Our problem, that God, the things that God wants to set us free from is false Christianity. That's what he wants to set us free from. Not from the difficulties of everyday life. Of course we're going to have difficulties in everyday life. We live in this world. It's a terrible place. Yes? It just is. Would you like to leave and go to heaven? I mean, I would. I'm amazed how often people say, Oh, no, I, not, not today. It's like, really? I'd like to leave right now. Amen? You know, put me on that bus right now. Yeah, I mean, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And to depart and be with Christ is far better. Far better. It's okay to be here. Don't get me wrong. I love my wife. I love my children. I love my granddaughter. I love my granddaughter. I love my granddaughter. Amen? I watched my granddaughter eat cake yesterday for the first time in her life. Man, I'll tell you, I've seen, cake's amazing first time a child, I feel, I feel really bad for, for, for kids whose parents don't let them ever have cake. Because the first time, I mean, you could see the look. She, she reached out, she pinched the cake. She, the, the, the cake was pink, the frosting was white. So she pinched the, peak, the, the pink, she pinched it between her fingers, and she, of course, because children do this with everything. She pinched it, she put it in her mouth, and it was like this look. She went, like this look on her face, like, hey, where you all been hiding this thing? You know what I'm saying? This is the greatest thing in the world until she found the thing and it's like, whoa, wait, wait. <laughs> this is even better. Of course, there's a crash at the other end of that, but you, you know that, that is what happens. You <laughs> adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now listen, we all know that we have to live in this world. But listen, please hear me. If you're here this morning and you would rather be around people who don't love Jesus than people who do love Jesus, you've got a problem. You have a heart problem. And there's a, it's a really good chance, really honestly, and I'm not being mean, I'm not trying to be unkind, you're just probably not born again. If you'd rather be watching the television than reading your Bible, and again, I'm not talking about being a monk I'm not talking about sitting in your bedroom going, oh, oh, and just reading your Bible. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you can't wait when you're having your devotions to put your Bible down and do something else, you've got a problem. And here's the good news. Be honest about it. Because because we're gonna see here in just a moment. If you'll be honest about it, God will meet you when you're honest about it. Because God wants to, the whole point of this is, God wants to prove, if what you, listen, if, if you came to me, honestly, if you came to me and you said, Pastor, I've got these eight, uh, gold coins. They're pretty good sized gold coins. I think they're really valuable. I and mean, yet, you wouldn't come to me with your gold coins, so just, just follow the analogy. okay? And so I say, oh wow, these are really wonderful. Are you sure they're gold? Well, of course they're gold. Well, are you sure they're gold? Don't they look like gold? Well, Yeah, they look like gold. So does brass. Brass looks like gold. You know, so have you had them tested? I wouldn't even know how to test them. Well, you, maybe you should before you ever try to buy anything with them, before you ever try to turn them into to, to money that isn't a gold coin. And so you walk out of my office and you think to yourself, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I'd hate to find out that I don't have all this money that I thought I had. Well, eventually you're going to find out, right? Eventually you're going to find out. So why not find out now? Yes? See, that's what God is doing. What God? The whole point of this, this, these passages is what God is saying. If you don't have the truth, you are an adulterer, an adulteress. You are pretending to be something while your heart is secretly loving something else. And I want to set you free from that. Let's keep reading, and you just look at it and see what it says. Verse 5 again, do you think that the Scripture says in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But, verse 6, he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Remember back in uh, verse 14 of chapter 3, glory not and lie not against the truth. See, that's pride. Pride is to continue to pretend that everything is okay when it's not. But humility will just be honest. You know what? I don't have what I'm pretending to have. I don't have peace, joy, goodness, meekness, temperance, love. I don't have these things. God says, good, let me give them to you. Now that you've been honest, let me help you. Remember, the Pharisees said, are we blind too? And Jesus answered them as, well, I wish you were. I wish you were. You are, but you don't think you are. And because you don't think you are, I can't help you. As soon as you'll be honest, I will rescue you. If you would be honest, I would rescue you. That's God's desire." But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he said, God resists the proud, but give us grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. All you have to do, all you have to do is be honest, and God will do literally everything else. Literally, literally. Lord, I believe. Help down my unbelief. By the way, if you're a child of God, and you're just weak in your faith, just be honest about that. Lord, I think you really have saved me. I really, now, I need you to prove this to me, Lord. You know, I, Frank, Frank Sells was so good about this. Uh, it's one of the reasons he was one of my favorite teachers. Drive a stake a mile deep that you know that you're saved, right? He said, God will never be upset with you doubting whether you're really born again or not. Never. Lord, I think I am. I thought I was. Am I really? Lord, tell me, please tell me. If I'm not, do it now. Amen? I mean, I can, you know, when I was first first saved, I was very confident about my salvation until I didn't become all the great Christian I thought I was going to be very quickly. Then I started, well, I must not be saved because, you know, I mean, I wanted to, I mean, again, it's Romans chapter seven. I lived in Romans chapter seven. I was saved when I was 22. I think I'm 52 now. I, I I think I lived in Romans chapter seven until I was 51 and a half. You know what I'm saying? It just seems like that sometimes. To will was present with me. I really wanted to do the right thing, but I found myself constantly failing. But here's why. Because I wanted to be able to succeed in my own strength. It's been a little bit more time than that that I have. That, I, that hasn't been true in my life. But I really don't know how long. It has been a few years now, maybe five years. I don't know exactly. But it was a long, long time. I was a preacher. I was. A, you guys called me as your pastor. I mean, and I love the truth and I love the word of God and I would preach and teach what the Bible actually says. But I wanted to be able to have something to show God when I. It's just Cain worship, right? I just wanted to have something to be able to bring in. I don't need anything. Praise God, I have the blood. You understand? And I mean that with all of my heart. I don't care about anything at all anymore except for the blood of Christ. That's all my righteousness, amen? All of my righteousness is the blood of Christ, period. Nothing else. Now, doctrinally, I've always believed that. But now, practically, I believe that. And it's changed the way I behave towards other people because I don't have to be good, if you understand. Please don't misunderstand what I mean by that. What I mean is this. I don't have to feel good about myself after I'm done talking to you. I can just help you instead. You see, that's freedom. See, I wanted to help people, but I want you to be able to acknowledge that I was doing it, right? It's like, Jason, hey Jason, let's talk. Let's have a good conversation, Jason. We'll be done. Jason, can I have my gold star? Because I think I did you a real good deal. You know what I'm saying? And if, if you didn't give me a gold star, I'm not helping you ever again, amen? Isn't that, isn't that how we are left to ourselves? Aren't you glad that Jesus is not like that, honestly? But see, here's the thing. Aren't you glad that you don't have to be like that? So, so this passage, this passage, as we look at this passage, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. You just get down, he will pick you back up. It's wonderful. It's very, very simple. Now, I'm gonna end here. I'm gonna end here. I have a lot of things in my notes, but I'm gonna end here. There's been so much going on. You guys are working so hard and there's so much coming up in the next few weeks. There's so many good things going on. I'm gonna cut this a little bit short. But I, what I want you to understand is this. What I want you to lay hold of is in this. Is this. Going back to chapter 1. Go back to chapter 1 with me for just a moment. My brethren, verse 2. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work in you, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So here's what God is saying is this. Listen, be honest about the trials in your life. They're there to do two things. One, to prove you have the real deal. And two, to cut off the things in your life that need to go anyway, right? Here's what happens. When When you try in your own strength and fail, what you'll begin to do is you'll start to recognize that is a weak board, if you understand what I'm saying. Don't walk there anymore. Let's cut that out. That's a bad thing right there. Me relying on my strength is a really bad idea. And I'm not, I don't know how much I do it until God brings things into my life that prove, listen, God already knows you're doing it. You understand? You don't know you're doing it. And here's the irony. You should know. We should know that we're doing it, but we're not honest with ourselves. And God says, as I bring these things into your life, don't lie against the truth. Don't glory in your own pride, as as Rick Whitlow says every year when he comes, what? Junk your pride, right? Just let that thing go, and I will give you victory over this. When you don't know what to do, when you realize that you're weaker than you thought you were, just ask me, and I'll give it to you. Just ask me. Trust me. I'll change your life. Amen? Then in chapter 4, he says, now those of you who can't do anything but fight and fuss, let me save you from being an adulterer and an adulteress. You're pretending you love me, but you don't love me. You love the world. That's what the problem is. If you love the world, and again, I'm not making this up. I, it's in my notes, but I just haven't gone through it. Look at this. Verse four, you adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship with, with the world. Now the word friendship, by the word, is phileo, and you do care about this. The word phileo is one of the words for love, okay? Philadelphia, delphos is the word for brother, okay? Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. That's what Philadelphia means, the city of brotherly love. It's a love. So it says when the word says friendship here, it's talking about friendship as in a loving friendship. So know you not that having a loving friendship with the world is enmity. And the word literally means you set yourself his enemy. That's what it means. It literally means to be adversary, to be angry with. When you choose the world, when your heart longs for the world, it's what I want. I want this music. I want this program. I want this place. I want these friends. I want these things. God says, that's because you don't love me. It's because you don't love me. But here's the good news. I still love you. Don't die like this. I still love you. Go to verse 10. Humble yourself, therefore, in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. I'm going to close with this. If you'll go to um, the book of Judges, and just study the book of Judges, you'll find that over and over and over and over and over and over again, Israel fails, terribly fails. And over and over and over again, she repents. This is the nation. We're talking 18 to 20 years of failure and then a repentance, but a real repentance, a real crying out. And you know what God does every single time? You know what he does? He rescues her. He rescues her over and over and over again. You know what he says to her at one point? I, I, took you out of, I took you out of Egypt, and I rescued you from Ra and all the false gods of Egypt. I rescued you from all the kings and false gods all the way to the promised land, and I rescued you from all of the false gods in the promised land, and now you serve all three of those groups of gods. That's what he says to them. And this is what he says, I'm not going to help you anymore. Why don't you ask your gods to save you? And, and, what, and what Israel says is, we're wrong. We're wrong. You're You're right about this, we have done that, and we're wrong. Would you please rescue us? And it says his heart is broken for her. And he rescues her again. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And what does the verse say? And he will, right? Not he might, he will. Will you humble yourself? You can either humble yourself because you're lost, or you can humble yourself because you're saved and proud. And he will lift you up, and he will rescue you, and he will make the difference because that's what he wants to do. Listen, I'm telling you, you have no idea how much God is on your side. I am am amazed at how many people are going to end up in hell. And, And what they're going to realize is God would have rescued me. They will know. They will remember all the times when, when the conscience, when their conscience bothered them, when the Holy Ghost tugged at their heart, said, Jesus will rescue you from this. Jesus is really, he loves you, he will rescue you. You don't have to live like this. You don't have to die like this. You do not have to spend an eternity paying for your sins. Jesus came to pay for your sins. Leave me alone, I want my way. Oh, what a terrible thing that will be.